Welcome to this week's Henchman of Comics. I'm Alex Eschbach. And this is your boy Cotton Swab, a.k.a. Matt Golden. It's a unique nickname. How'd you get the nickname Cotton Swab? Uh, I wanted to be like Cottonmouth from season one of Luke Cage, which is what we're talking about today, season two of Luke Cage. Uh, but I thought, I'm not as cool as Cottonmouth, so I'm Cotton Swab. That'll send fear into the hearts of your rogues gallery. Yes, yeah, so let me tell you. Um, so today, everybody, we are talking about Luke Cage, season two, the entire thing. And we so, apologize to you for pushing it back a week than we previously announced. But I don't know about how you feel, but I think it actually helped like my enjoyment, like not trying to cram it all. Uh, it's just a short period. Oh, yeah. Um, I know in seasons past where I've done stuff like this, I've had to fast forward little bits that I know aren't going to be key to the story or whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, I I think that expanding it out was definitely the right call and you know what what else i think you and i as two southern white men probably have the best perspective on this uh tale of black america in harlem like i don't think there's anybody better to talk about and review luke cages into than us like nobody is going to have a better perspective of it than yeah us. i mean we can relate to it in so many other ways our university town is basically just like a southern version of harlem it really is. It's just South Harlem. But, I'll look aside. So, I know you and I were rather... Oh, we were joking? Indifferent to the second season of Jessica Jones. What, I don't know how he felt, but after that, I was kind of worried about season two of Luke Cage. I was uh, terrified. Because, well, let me give a little backstory. Sure. I just finished season one of Luke Cage, <laughs> um, like a week before season two of Luke Cage came out, which... You know, as a comic book reviewer and stuff, like, not necessarily the right way to do things, but that's the way that I did it. And I think I was definitely more primed than some people might be for, for this. I was definitely ready for it. Yeah, and I thought the first episode was, I thought it was the slowest episode of the season, so I was a bit worried too after the first episode. But I thought the pacing was pretty good after that for the most part. Uh, let me tell you, I think there's a trend in Netflix television shows, um, Netflix Marvel shows, where there is a big lull in the middle of the season. I think that they honestly need to chop these down to eight or nine episodes. Because there's one episode in Luke Cage season two where literally they're just talking the whole time. There's no action. They're just talking at a precinct and hiding out. And I don't need that. Like, they can move this story along faster. I'm getting tired of having one villain for an entire season or having a villain for half a season and then a villain for the second half of the season. I want something at a much more rapid pace. Obviously, you got to build to the big villain, but I don't need this big villain the whole time. I will say, though, there were a couple awesome moments in that first episode. One, I just like the fact that there was a drug called Luke Cage and after him, just to get under his skin. My favorite moment came towards the end of that first episode where we see Bushmaster in action for the first time and he grabs that guy. And stabs him in both eyes. Like, that's when things took a quick 180. To like, okay, is, is this guy going to be an interesting villain, compelling villain? Because I thought Cottonmouth was great. I thought Diamondback was a huge letdown and really couldn't follow Cottonmouth at all. And so in my mind, the new villain had to live up to Cottonmouth. Uh, yeah. Cottonmouth, uh, Mahershala Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
absolutely incredible. Uh, but again, you don't have him the whole season. You kill him off, and then you bring somebody else in. Um, it's kind of interesting how they do that. And uh, okay, before we begin, spoiler for season two of Luke Cage. I think I said yeah. spoilers. I think yeah, I, okay, I got that okay. in there. Okay. Uh, but I don't know how you felt, but I loved Bushmaster. I thought he was a fantastic villain. I liked someone that was similar to Luke, but different uh, in his own way. I thought the whole Jamaican subplot was fantastic. They did; a, He had a fantastic Jamaican accent, even though the actor was from Harlem. Uh, yeah. Can you do an impression of the way that he says Luke Cage? No. <laughs> Damn it. That's all I want. Uh, everybody, this isn't me. This is this is Alex definitely doing an impression of Luke Cage or of uh, Bushmaster saying Luke Cage. Well, uh, I don't want to get any letters. Uh, so you can do that. But what do you think of Bushmaster comparatively? I thought he was awesome. Uh, you have another superhuman strength thing uh, at the end of season one. Uh, what was his name? Diamondback. He has to put on like the lamest power suit that has ever lived in order to fight Luke Cage. This guy can just go toe to toe with him. And not only that, like where Luke is like much of like a bruiser, like a blunt or yeah, blunt object. Bushmaster has skills. Like, he is a skilled hand-to-hand combatant, reminiscent of uh, Iron Fist and Daredevil. Um, I I don't know what his martial arts style was, but, I mean, first time he tangled with Luke, he beat the crap out of him. He does, like, a dance fight kind of thing, like a capoeira kind of badassery. I loved it, though. He was great. He was super athletic. Uh, And the part, I think it's in episode one, where he takes a bunch of bullets to the chest uh, and then just, like, like, muscles him out. Like, muscles the bullets out. It's kind of awesome. Like, pulling the bullets out of his chest and stuff. I think, and I think one of the big differences for me that we really enjoyed this season over, say, like, season two of Jessica Jones was that there were so many references to the other Marvel Netflix characters. We had references to Daredevil, uh, references and appearance by Iron Fist, which we'll get to later, and appearance by Foggy, and there was talk of Jessica. So, and it was throughout the entire season. It wasn't like Jessica Jones kind of felt like it, like oh I guess we need to squeeze one or two, two references in but we're telling our own story. Luke Cage too managed to tell its own story but still realize that Luke is aware of these other people in his life and how they might be able to help and, and uh, interact with his own world. Yeah, he definitely used I guess his his knowledge and he didn't just say well I know this person but I'm definitely not going to call them. He called in favors and and used his friends to help him out. I love the episode with Foggy. Like, I thought Foggy was great. I thought him and Luke have a great uh, chemistry against one another. Or with one another, I should say. And the scene where they negotiate in Mariah's Money Man's office was fantastic, too. Seeing all the Luke Cage memorabilia uh, up on the wall. And watching Luke uh, out negotiate Foggy. Even though he brought Foggy to be his lawyer for the whole thing. And then, yeah, Foggy was like, I should take a, a few notes out of your <laughs> yeah. book or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, having having those guest stars across these Marvel Netflix shows are fantastic, and that's something that I really enjoyed. Probably is part of my favorite thing. Yeah, we had about this series. Colleen Wing as well appeared in an episode with Misty, uh, which I enjoyed. We also obviously had Claire Night Nurse uh, because her and Luke are dating. Rosario Dawson. Uh, but the first, like I would say, like major moment came when they broke up, and they broke up for real. Like it wasn't like two episodes later they're back together. No, uh, yeah. yeah. She, she doesn't come save him in the finale. She's gone. Yeah, she's gone. So what do you think of their breakup? Uh, I thought it was emotional. I thought it was really sad. I think that the acting in this 
uh, series is better than any other Marvel Netflix show. That's a bold claim, but uh, I do think the acting was really good uh, ac- across the board. I think there were several characters that just really nailed their performances in their role. Uh, uh, Mariah is the obvious yes, standout. We'll get yeah. to that yeah, in a second. But when it goes to their breakup, like I was actually like it was like you said really well acted that scene. It was a very yeah. emotional scene. But I was happy they broke up because just like as a comic book nerd, I was like, okay, that's one step closer to him and Jessica getting together as the way it should be like it is in the comics. Yeah. Whether it'll ever happen, I don't know. They did plant the seeds for other comic book stuff. Like there are several seeds planted for Heroes for Hire business being started up, uh, which didn't happen this season, but we might see that in the future. So, but you mentioned Mariah. Mariah, they did a great job with because I hated Mariah. And like, not in the way like, oh, she's terrible. Like I hated her like in the way like you hate Joffrey when you watch Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, she's yeah. the worst. I know, you just want terrible things to happen to her. You want her to see her in and for it to be violent uh, and just to have a tragic end. It, you want her to just watch everything crumble around her. There's one big moment where Bushmaster comes into her brownstone and burns it down with her and her daughter inside. In that scene, I was rooting for Bushmaster. Yeah, I actively rooted against her the whole time. And I yeah. I, I think I was on Bushmaster's side the whole time. I'm, yeah. I'm very consistently on the villain side of things. Yeah. But like, there's some villains where you're just like, ooh, you're nasty, and I don't I don't fucking like it. And I, I think what made it work so well, not only, to, not only was the performance uh, for Mariah, but I think uh, Shades as well, being a counterpoint to Mariah, still in league with Mariah, but seeing how her actions uh, can shake people, even though, and how there'd be other routes for achieving the same criminal goals. Shades is another fantastic uh, villain and heel. Uh, I absolutely love him and the way that he acts is again insane fucking nuts bruh yeah and out of all like the main characters the mage characters this season only one died and it's not who i thought it was going to be like think back if, if about who else in the series this season would you pick any of them to, to survive over the person who died um i would have picked luke cage to die but other than that that was all expected. No, I mean, you could think that four or five different people would have died. Yeah, but it ended up being Mariah yep. uh, being killed by her daughter uh, using some of her potion and poison-making skills. Which was an awesome death. Yeah. Kiss, she got a kiss of death yeah. from her own daughter. And it was super violent. Uh, and that was a badass line when because Luke was in her own prison. And Mariah's on blood dripping from her mouth, staining her teeth, on the floor dying. And Luke doesn't go to get help. And Mariah's like, it burns. And Luke just goes, good. Yeah. Like, that was a badass. Luke is yeah. Luke is a dickhead, and I kind of like it. Although part of me wished, I still wanted Bushmaster to, to be the one that brought down Mariah. Oh, completely. Because there was one episode later in the season where there's flashback scenes sprinkled in of basically Bushmaster's background, a little bit of it, and also the Stokes family's background with Bushmaster's family's background and how they tie into one another. And you just see how not only like how tragic Bushmaster Spectre was, but how awful Mama E was too. For Mama Stokes was just awful. Horrendous. Yeah. And like it like, reminds me of the way that you and your wife raise your child. Basically. <laughs> we want to create our own cottonmouth. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was just 
don't know. It's it. You really saw how Mariah became to be when she was shed the Council and Persona. Where she got that from? Yeah, this is a the. The fall of Mariah is what season two is. She goes from councilwoman to drug lord to being killed in prison by her own daughter. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and she comes just a bloodthirsty warlord, basically, at some point. Yeah. Taking down everyone. Taking down Burns her own people, people alive. Yeah. yeah. she's She is a fucking gangster. But talk about death. I don't know how you feel, but I'm glad that Bushmaster lived and I'm glad that Shades, uh, lived, Shades went to prison. Just so in the hope that we might get them again in the future. Oh, yeah. Shades is going to get off somehow. Uh, yeah. And Bushmaster will be back. Yeah. So, and really, Bushmaster's biggest piece is the fact that in order to get strong like Luke Cage, he has to essentially take a poison to get strong, which weakens him. Yeah. I think uh, I think if a Heroes for Hire thing comes around or another Defender season comes out, Bushmaster will be like a little two-episode arc. Which is the way that it should be. Yeah, I agree. You could definitely, if a, a group of villains tries to form like their own version of the Defenders. Yeah. Um, I think that would be great and necessary almost to include him. So, so they've learned from their past mistakes, I guess, of killing off Cottonmouth and realizing that, oh crap, we just killed off the best actor on the series. And I, I think Cottonmouth, in my opinion, is the most underrated villain in the Marvel Universe. I still think like, generally, you have your top tier of Loki in the films. Now, Thanos probably. Better than um, D'Onofrio as Kingpin? No, I still think D'Onofrio is the best. Or him or, or David Tennant uh, are generally the best. But I think Cottonmouth is the most underrated, just underappreciated. And part of that thing oh, is, sure. too, because he was only in half a season uh, for one season yeah. of the show. He really so. stands out. So, what were some of your... Uh, actually, no, before we do that. So, as you always talk about, about music being important... In each and oh, every season. Oh, man. Does it ever uh, come through yeah. in Luke Cage? Season one, you have live performances from Raphael Sadiq, and then some very poignant, especially in hindsight, performances from the late Sharon Jones, the late Charles Bradley. You get Wu-Tang appearances in there, and Wu-Tang is sprinkled throughout. Uh, there's a fight scene at the end of this uh, to a very popular Wu-Tang song that I will not say the name of. Um, but, I mean, you get Nina Simone songs this season. Uh, you get up and coming blues artists this season. You yeah. get Gary Clark Jr. this season. You get a ton of you get Ghostface Killer. Yeah. Uh, you get KRS One this yeah. season as well too. Uh, you get oh, what's her name? Uh, Esperanza Spalding. And just the soundtrack in general too. Like like Bob Marley plays uh, throughout it, which it was cool to see reggae, even though it's Ska's bastard cousin. It was still nice to see <laughs> that uh, sprinkled in and used effectively throughout the season too. Uh, and it was great to see guys like Karras one and like Matt mentioned, Ghostface Killer was in an episode this season. Uh, the Wu Tang song was in the second to last episode twelve, I believe, mm-hmm. when Bushmaster and Luke teamed up. And then they also used Wu Tang again. I want to say they did earlier in the yeah. season, yeah, yeah, in the tenth episode, yeah, they did a uh, Seventh Chamber Part Two uh, when him and Iron Fist teamed up. I episode. love that song. Yeah, and it, it works so well. The so, and I think. Obviously, there's a Guardian film, but for the TV shows, for any of the Marvel TV shows, not, not just the Netflix ones, but for the Marvel shows, that they've used music more effectively. Uh, maybe you might argue Legion for superhero TV shows. Oh, but, yeah. Legion's fantastic when it comes to that. But music plays such an important role. Uh, and I like that they that's one of the things that, for Harlem, that they can show its roots in. Like, when we watched Cloak & Dagger, you wanted more New Orleans. Um, yeah. 
the Marvel the Marvel Netflix shows do a great job, especially I would say uh, Daredevil and Luke Cage especially do a great job of making the city a living, breathing organism in the show. I would even venture to say more so in Luke Cage than in Daredevil. In Daredevil, everything's kind of like bleak looking. But that's and, Hell's Kitchen, or what they want Hell's Kitchen to be. Sure, yeah. and I can understand that and comprehend it, but everything is almost like a sepia tone in, in Daredevil. In this, there's brights, there's vibrancy, there's like the little uh, hole-in-the-wall places that have the pictures of the food on the side, like really authentic, really New York bodegas and stuff like really, really cool. Really, really New York. I love too, that they still kept pop's barbershop alive. Yeah. Uh, they're using it as a de facto Luke Cage merchandise shop too. Yeah. Uh, I liked, even though like it was kind of hokey, uh, but there was an app that where anytime someone spotted Luke Cage, they would mark on the map where they saw him. <laughs> Which is a little hokey, but I feel like that would be a real thing if Superhero was just known to patrol this neighborhood. Uh, and there was always the complaining that Luke should have done that to get himself money as well. Yeah, it brought a 70s and 80s comic hero to the modern age in a very real way. It was very interesting. Uh, you don't necessarily think about how, like when you're reading comics, how tech will affect your heroes. I mean, if you're reading Iron Man, you do. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Fuck yeah, you. but Fuck for you. street level heroes. Yeah, first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man never thinks about technology. It's been a really weird path they've taken with those books. Uh, something that I realized very early on in the Luke Cage experience for myself is this guy's hoodie expense monthly has got to be through the fucking roof. Yeah, uh, my wife and I talked about that. About like it's ridiculous how much he must spend, and like I just hope he just has a subscribe and save option on Amazon. <laughs> shows up every couple days and, every and there's days. just a new like box of 12 hoodies inside they're nice hoodies too yeah i know i really um, kind of want one yeah. and it was cool we mentioned the merch and pop shop earlier a lot of them were throwback references to uh to the comic of luke cage with one that has like a sweet christmas logo on there some that were in the colors of the classic luke cage costume which by the way sweet christmas is a fucking awesome yeah. saying i have no idea what it means but i don't either it's just a cool expression um i want to talk about cuz we talked about the music for a second but i have some thoughts on harlem's paradise and we'll we'll kind of jump to and from but and harlem's paradise is a club that caught mouth owned that yes. Mariah took over after she killed Cottonmouth in the first season. Yes, it's it's kind of changed ownership every single season, and, <laughs> and it looks like it's doing it again uh, going from season two to season three. But that's where all the excellent live performances take place, for the most part. Esperanza Spalding played somewhere else. Anywho, I'm just curious, and maybe you can shed a little light on this for me. This club is the site of multiple mass murders. People keep coming back like it's nothing. And they all seem to happen during live concerts. Why are people still going to these shows? Well, I don't care about Gary. I like, I enjoy Gary Clark Jr.'s music, but I am not going to go risk my life to go see Gary Clark Jr. It's not like there's like one or two people dying every now and again. It's like every show, like 30 people dead. I mean, they probably have a low cover fee. James (laughs) drinks might be cheap. And if you can go see a place where you can see, you can stand five feet away from KRS-One. Why not? Sure. You might die, but at least you died seeing KRS-One. That's much better than dying while choking on a McRib while binge-watching The Office for, for the eighth time. I completely disagree. Uh, that's the way that I've always wanted to go. <laughs> I've got like a stack of 40 McRibs frozen in my fridge at all times. <laughs> well, uh, 
We now know your suicide plan. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I, if I was eating a McRib, it was definitely suicide. Let's talk about some other characters in this show, because I don't think we've really touched uh, touched on everybody here. No, in fact, we haven't even talked about really the secondary character of the show at all, but Misty this season. Yes, I don't like Misty. Uh, she is now a she was a she was formerly a two armed cop, now a one armed cop. It's tough to keep up with. I did like that she got her bionic arm from Danny Rand. I thought that was a nice touch. That was cool. In the comics, it's Tony Stark that gives her the arm, but. I don't have that kind of budget to bring Robert Downey Jr. in, even for, yeah. like, one scene. Uh, and plus, they don't know what's going on. They probably didn't get the Infinity War script uh, while they were shooting, so they don't know what's going on. I guess, and we should say, too, this must take place pre-Infinity War, pre-Snap. Oh, well, yeah, obviously, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think all of these Marvel shows are taking place before, or they're all pre-Snap. Yeah, and I imagine probably, I don't know what's next, I think Daredevil Season 3 uh, then maybe Iron Fist or Punisher after that. And I imagine they both will be pre-snap as well. Yeah, I don't see them doing something else post-snap. It's got to be hard to do like the Netflix Marvel shows when there's another Medity War film coming up and you don't know what's going to happen either. I think they're just kind of like, oh, we're playing our cards fast yeah. and loose here. Like, we're just imagining everything reverts back and don't like, necessarily have to make it. Their nightmare of it. is like in the next Medity War, uh, like Doctor Strange reading a list, being like, yes, and... When Thanos snapped, we lost Luke Cage in Harlem and uh, Iron Fist uh, in the Upper West Side of New York. They're all dead and have been dead for years. I feel like these New York, um, and it kind of brings me to my next, uh, I've got a little game for you, bud. Uh, it kind of brings me to that. Hold on, but. Oh, yeah, I guess Misty. we're talking about somebody else. Yeah, first. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I like Misty for the most part. I actually enjoyed it more. I think it was the fifth episode where she quit the police force. It was like, oh, this is going to be her journey to becoming an actual superhero. We won't have the time with the cops. But then she basically quickly rejoins the force. So She's constantly working in tandem with Luke Cage, never calling for backup one time. To be fair. She is the most ridiculous person I've ever met. She did have backup for an entire career, and that person ended up betraying her. And being a snitch. Well, I'm just saying she's not calling for backup when she encounters these insane situations. Like at the club, there's a big shooting mm-hmm. at the club. Never calls for backup. Luke Cage, you probably got this right, bud. Thanks, homie. We do have another flashback episode, too, where we saw her old partner uh, for an episode. Planting and, evidence. Yeah. And I like the episode because I like Frank Whaley a lot, the actor. And I enjoyed I, that as well. Yeah. And I, I like seeing him again. It gave us excuse and it pushed the, pushed, it didn't slow things down. Uh, it gave us more insight into how to, what Misty was going through and feeling without overly emoting it, um, which I appreciated. Yeah, I I actually, at that point in the series, I think it was later on, like the last half of the series or so, I kind of fell off the Misty wagon. But like that first half when she was like, do I become a bad cop? Yeah. What do I do? Like When she was, she was in the bar with Colleen uh, beating yeah, up those guys, cool, yeah. which Colleen had a great moment where Misty's get, basically being surrounded by three guys. And Colleen just sitting at the bar, just drinking her beer, just not <laughs> jumping in. I thought that was a nice little moment before she decided to uh, help out her friend. Uh, this show relies heavily on New York, as do all the Marvel Netflix shows. So in that vein, I kind of have some some questions okay. uh, for you. Um, there are many famous celebrities from New York. Uh, so I'm going to give you a couple celebrities and give you a couple Marvel heroes. Is the answer always Woody Allen? No. Actually, I thought about doing that, but I decided against it. It's funny that you said that. 
Actually, I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> uh, so I want you to tell me what it would be like uh, when Larry David encounters Iron Fist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, in in action, watches the punch. Uh, Larry would probably just be annoyed that something was holding up his way to, to wherever he wanted to go, whether he was meeting Jeff or whether he was on his way to get something nice to eat with Richard Lewis, even though all that takes place on the West Coast now, because Larry lives in L.A. Uh, th- he's back in New York for whatever reason. Jesus Christ, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Also, I think he also moved out West possibly, but uh, tell me about uh, Jerry Seinfeld encountering Electra. Uh, again, I just think that he would be annoyed, uh, slightly unimpressed. Although Jerry is a big comic book fan. He loves Superman. There's Superman reference in every episode of Seinfeld, uh, or visible Superman, every episode of Seinfeld. Uh, so fun he, fact, everybody. Yeah. So he might actually try and pitch her a Hollywood project for her to be in. <laughs> he might be like, idea. okay, I know you're not a comedian, but we can get you the next comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> All right. How about, um, the excellent, we'll even stay in the same same family. Uh, also from New York, Julia Lou Dreyfus. Are you just naming people that were that oh, are part wow, of Seinfeld? Okay, I'll, I'll skip that. I'll skip that. <laughs> yeah, wow. All right. How about uh, Lil Kim reacting to Daredevil? I have no idea. I know so <laughs> little about Lil Kim. <laughs> Don't lie. I apologize to everybody for the loud sounds that were definitely Alex and not me. Okay, what about. um. Oh, shit. I feel like you're just going to say the same thing for every single person. Matt okay. knows three celebrities from New York. Yeah. You know, Carrie Washington uh, and Spider-Man. Well, I've never watched an episode of Scandal, so I feel like I'm not the person to speak about Carrie Washington either. Was she in Grey's Anatomy or am I just making that up? I think you're making that up, but okay. could be totally wrong. Uh, all right. You obviously know a lot about Charlie Sheen. What happens when Charlie Sheen runs into Luke Cage? Uh, Charlie Sheen is, of course, probably blissed out of his mind <laughs> at that time. Tries to get several inappropriate selfies with Luke Cage. Tries to pitch him into being in a movie with him, which Luke uh, considers because Luke likes to get paid. And the problem is, Charlie's not getting any movie offers these days, so it's really just all a big Ponzi scheme. And Luke, Luke loses the barbershop in the end. Excellent. Uh, rewind to 2013 when she's still alive. <laughs> Joan Rivers encountering the entire Defenders. She would really just critique their outfits. <laughs> I think Matt probably have it the worst of being in full costume while all the dress, while all the rest dress more casually. Uh, she might dig Jessica's leather jacket and jeans look. It's a bit of a timeless uh, look. And Luke's hoodie is simple but iconic. She probably criticized Danny because Danny has the wealth to dress better, but chooses to dress like he's a thirteen-year-old monk. <laughs> Uh, all right. I think that about does it for the entire episode and our entire review of <laughs> Luke Cage. So what do you think of uh, Danny Rand this episode, this season? I thought Danny Rand and Luke Cage teaming up as a duo was excellent. I thought it was awesome. I thought this was the best we've seen Danny so far. We saw him in Iron Fist, which a lot of people didn't like. He was he was better in The Defenders. I thought this was the best appearance. Just not only just his... the choreography which we talked about but also just the dance the, choreography <laughs> the way he acted uh his approach a sense of humor i thought it was all just great i think uh, it was almost like he had a friend yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they actually had real chemistry uh the actor was finn jones his name i can't remember uh 
Sure. I, I the guy he, from Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm going to throw it back to that every time I can. <laughs> he, I think he's really grown into the role more. I think uh, the showrunner of Blue Cage, uh, Chio Hedora, uh, I, I think he did a great job with Danny as well. And it was nice for them just to bring in a superhero for an episode. And like we mentioned earlier, that, that fight scene with Luke and Danny teaming up was, was fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome. What was your favorite? Well, this was for the choreography. What was your favorite fight scene this season? Uh, just because of the music in the background, um, it was definitely episode twelve, Bushmaster fighting back to back with with Luke, Luke Cage. Cage. You get the villain turned hero for a minute, and fight. Bushmaster's in a weakened state at this point. How strong yeah. as he was, and Luke does what he can to protect him. This uh, is right after Luke rips off a car door and hands yeah. it to him to to carry around and protect himself from all the gunfire. And My- then we drop into. The dope song. Yeah. My favorite was the fight on the bridge. It was just those two. Uh, I want to say that was maybe the fifth or sixth episode where Bushmaster basically just kicking the crap and Luke finally gets the upper hand. But my favorite moment in the entire scene, Bushmaster pulls a rusty Shackleford and throws pocket sand uh, <laughs> in Luke's face and paralyzes him. Pocket sand is a, is a great fight move. And I didn't know that pocket sand could paralyze people. Oh, yeah. But... We learn quickly that Pocket Sand can paralyze someone even as powerful as Luke Cage. Yeah, just out cold. Yeah. And then it kicks him into the river, which I don't know if Luke can drown. I assume he can. Uh, but that was just a really cool way to finish your opponent off. It was awesome. Yeah. And I love, too, this is more to the thing I love about the season. I loved that early in the season, Luke Cage did a bunch of like physical trials in front of ESPN and NFL scouts uh, oh, that and was, Todd that was Balls. Awesome. But they said that he was faster than Usain Bolt. And I love that how that bothered all the Jamaicans so much, especially Bushmaster, <laughs> that he wasn't faster than Usain Bolt. Uh, that was hysterical. And little things like that to show how much I, I love like Bushmaster and like Hagerville was like the fact that everyone talks about Mariah Dillard and he corrects them to Mariah Stokes every single time. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was great. It shows great, his, fantastic writing. Yeah, just shows his pure hatred for her and will not let anyone forget where she comes from and the family that she comes from. Uh, question. You obviously know about Luke Cage's hysterical way of knocking people out, which is like slapping them on the top of the head. Cracks me up every single time he does it. Uh, it's almost like, shut up, dummy. And he like <laughs> slaps on the top of the head. On a scale of one to ten, how amazing is his lazy knockout of just popping somebody one? Uh, it's pretty great because it just shows they do a great job of making just so many things Luke do just seem effortless. <laughs> it's just so he just gets annoyed by by everything. Everyone still tries to shoot him. And he just he's like it. And like you mentioned in the last episode, everyone has to see if the myth is real uh, or the legend is real. Yeah, yeah. Everybody still is shooting this guy yeah. after all the videos they've seen that he cannot be he shot. He just gets annoyed by it all. Um, and one thing too, like I thought this was great that we didn't when it comes to references for the Marvel Universe. They actually sprinkled in a cloak and dagger reference uh, this season. Because oh. when they're talking about other police officers, they said O'Reilly's in New Orleans. And that's a police officer oh, nice. in cloak and dagger. So good for Marvel for trying to expand their TV universe to a little bit more beyond the Netflix shows. That's excellent. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get anything with Runaways. Uh, but it's just nice to see that happening. So, uh, we'll, And we might get stuff with Legion eventually since Disney bought Fox. Fingers fucking crossed. Yeah. So... I, something that I noticed in the last episode, in the finale, people are starting to finally realize that you can't shoot this dude a little bit. He goes and talks to, 
I guess whoever's in charge of Harlem now and kind of running the city in a negative way after Mariah gets tossed in jail. Uh, he goes to her mansion and, and busts in and beats up all her goons. But one of them tries to put a bag over his head and suffocate yeah. him. I love that. Yeah. I love when people are doing my favorite autoerotic asphyxiation move. Well, I don't think there's anything erotic about it. I completely disagree. I think we're watching two different shows. We must be. <laughs> I must have the parental filter shirt on my Netflix account. Yeah, somehow. obviously. Uh, but really, before we wrap things up, we should actually talk about the ending. Because well, yeah. the ending for this... Now let's uh, skip it. ...had the... I mean, obviously it has the biggest sweeping changes for any of the Marvel Netflix shows so far. Yeah. Uh, but based, Luke, actually, we're all going to do that after we learn that Mariah's daughter isn't so much of a nice guy. Uh, she points her mom, her character, she says her name, not Tilda Stokes, but Tilda Johnson, who in the comics is the character Nightshade, uh, or the villain Nightshade. So that might play more in parts of future seasons, but they're at her will reading. And to learn that she willed the club over to Luke. Because Luke cares about Harlem more than her daughter does. Yeah, I didn't know that. I figured that her daughter was going to tie in in a villainous kind of way. I like that she ends up being a, a comic villain nightshade. Yeah. Uh, That's I, thought, I thought that was nice that they revealed it more toward the end, too. I thought that made it a stronger impact. Yeah, that's fantastic. That makes me super happy. Um, I mean, we've obviously got a big-time villain next season. Uh, we've got Luke Cage owning this awesome club. Which, yeah. Luke says that he, well, I think it's great how they did this, but we see Luke saying that when asked if he wants a club, he says it should be burned to the ground. And then there's a cut and we see basically Luke dressed in a dapper suit, uh, looking out the window with the hands on the back, exactly like how Cottonmouth would. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and Luke also lost, we should mention the barbershop because of this too, because he had fallout because he's essentially the new kingpin of Harlem. He feels like he's going to do things a safer way, which not everyone agreed with. Yeah, especially the guy who's now in charge of Pops and yeah. said, Pops is always Switzerland. Yeah. You can't be here anymore. You can come and get a haircut, but that's it. Yeah, you can't talk with us, yeah. nothing. So he, he got kicked out of Pops and for then good. we see Misty come to the club with Luke there. And the way Misty's dressed is actually closer to her comic book outfit than anything we've seen so far, especially with her hair up like that. But and my wife pointed this out. But Misty steps outside the room and we see someone whispering to Luke and the door closing. That's the exact ending to the Godfather film, the first Godfather, when Michael uh, is standing in the office and his wife is standing outside the door as the door closes the way they shot it and everything. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a really, really clever touch, I thought. And Luke is referred to as the Godfather earlier in that episode, too. So it was a nice callback. But just for that visual moment to call back to that. And so really, Luke's become the villain. Like, he's become everything that he hates. And he might not realize it at this point. But this was never the Luke we see at the end of Season 2. is not the Luke that we saw at the beginning of Season 1. See, I know that that's kind of the way that they have it viewed. And that's how they lay it out. But just because he owns this club now does not necessarily mean that he is a bad guy. He can stop drugs going in his club. He can do all sorts of stuff. But everyone, this ha- position of power. everyone has to go through him, though. And so if he's controlling it, we'll see, obviously, more if it gets it, which it would be awful if this got canceled after the way the season two ended. Oh, yeah, that would be yeah. a shit time for this show to get canceled. Because there's so much more story to tell. But I really liked it because it means that if we get a season three, it'll be 
different, at least start out different than what we're used to in the Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah, it'll be a raucous beginning to another season, which is, is kind of their MO. They start hot hot and heavy. They kind of slow down and they ramp up the last two episodes. Yeah, I agree. I thought the last two episodes, and really like the 12th episode before the last episode, it feels more like a finale. It's more action-paced. And yeah. the final episode's more like an epilogue episode, which I like because, I mean, it just it ties up being loose and then you'd be tied up and sets up everything for the next season. It's a very Game of Thrones way of doing it. Yeah, it really is. That's a great point. Uh, that's about all I've got. Do you yeah. have anything else? No, so what would you rate the season on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I'd give it a 7. I yeah. enjoyed it. It There are definitely improvements that could be made, mainly chopping out two or three episodes in the middle, make it a 9, 10 episode season really speeds things along and makes it flow a lot more uh, evenly. But other than that, like I don't have a lot of complaints. Music's on par. The acting's fantastic. Arguably Luke Cage is one of the worst actors in this. Great villain. Oh, fantastic villains. Yeah. Uh, plural. Um, Great ties to the actual Marvel universe, getting yeah. actual people from the other shows to show up. The way that heroes and fall. Roles. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I'd probably give a round around around where you are, seven or eight. I definitely thought it was better than season two of Jessica Jones by a wide margin. Yeah, by a long shot. Uh, it might be probably just, for me at least, a notch below season two of Daredevil, but that was hard to leave up, live up to that with the Punisher being excellent in that and with the whole Electra storyline too. Uh, but I do hope that, I really hope that we get a third season. I will be crestfallen if it doesn't get renewed because this story still has more to be told. Yeah, and again, vid- I don't know if I said, I said it as bold, but it is the best soundtrack of anything. It's better than Guardians, I, I I think, personally. I think it's got the best soundtrack that's out there. Yeah, I, I still like Guardians more if they had played more specials and less Bobby Marley, uh, <laughs> or even some Toots and the Maytals. They could have thrown me some of that, or Prince Buster, but no. They had to have Stephen Marley play a live show instead. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I thought for what you get, best bang for your buck. Wrap it up. Uh, that's going to... M- be it for this week's the comics next week we're gonna be talking about ant-man and the wasp which i know we're both looking forward to uh as always you can follow us uh, or as always you can email us at henchmanofcomics at gmail.com follow us on twitter instagram uh facebook give us a like go and subscribe and download the podcast please for the henchman of comics i'm alex eschbeck and i'm luke cage henchman ain't easy